Good morning. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 6. We've come to our final message on the book of Galatians. And we're going to just read verse 11 to get us started. Galatians chapter 6, verse 11. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 18. Verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we come to the end of this book that you would uh, keep the truths of this book in our hearts and minds and may they be uh, part of our lives. So we come, we ask for your touching of our hearts, your speaking to us this morning because we ask it in our Savior's name. Amen. What takeaways do you think you should take from Galatians? Well, I'm going to suggest three, and then we'll look at a, at a bigger one at the very end of the, of the lesson. But as kind of a summary, um, in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, we saw Paul's passion for the gospel and the Galatian uh, believers. Throughout the whole um, book, you can sense Paul's passion for the gospel. It turned his life upside down. You know, he had gotten saved and never got over it. He wasn't involved in the gospel because he was a preacher of the gospel. He was a preacher of the gospel because of what the gospel had done for him. And he wanted uh, to communicate that gospel uh, to others because uh, everything in his life was built on the gospel. And Paul was passionate about the Galatian uh, believers. He had brought the message to them despite opposition, despite, uh, despite persecution, despite suffering. He had brought the gospel and shared it with them and seen it take root in their lives. And now some false teachers have come in. And they're trying to diminish the person and work of Jesus Christ. They're trying to transfer the Galatians' faith to works. And, and he knows that that's going to rob them. It's going to rob them of their message. It, it's going to rob them of their freedom. It's going to rob them of the power that had helped already to change their lives. And Paul loved them too much to stand idly by. What's your passion for the gospel? What's your passion for other believers? A second overarching one uh, deals with chapters uh, three and four where Paul takes up justification, which is God declaring one righteous. And he says, listen, this can only be obtained through Jesus Christ. If you want to be right with God someday, if you want to go to heaven someday, you must come to Jesus Christ by faith and receive him as your Savior. Anything else, and you'll spend a lost eternity separated forever from the presence of God. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ died for our sins. He paid the penalty of our sins. He satisfied God's wrath. And he deposits in our lives his, his own righteousness. And it would, it would be wrong not to stop and say, do you know that you know you're saved? Do you have that confidence that you're right with God because of the work of Jesus Christ? It's a serious thing. And then we come 
to the last section, sanctification, which is that work of the Spirit where we've been set apart for God and then we're growing in holy living and pleasing service. Perhaps you've heard the story of the woman who was out uh, pushing her newborn twins in her carriage and a woman came up and said, can I see them? And uh, she said, certainly, and she scooted the carriage around. She said, this is my son, the doctor, and this is my son, the lawyer. Those of you who are parents, you have aspirations for your children. What are God's aspirations for you if you're a child of God? Well, chapters 5 and 6 tell us what those aspirations are. He wants you to live a changed life marked by the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to, to live a life of serving others. Restoring those who have fallen, carrying the burdens of those when they're, the burden's too heavy for them to bear, sowing and reaping and, and working for the name of Jesus Christ. And he knows that's impossible without the Spirit because we can't do it in our own strength. And so he, he talks about walking in the Spirit. As God goes through chapters 5 and 6, is he painting a picture of you? Because that's his hope. That's what he wants for your life. So three overarching lessons. A passion for gospel, for gospel and for other people. The confidence of being justified by faith and understanding that that's the only way to heaven and the working of the Spirit of God in your life so that you're a new creation. And so as we come to this last little section, Paul is going to make a final contrast. And it begins in verse 11 with a personal postscript. Let's read it again. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Paul's usual practice was to use the services of a scribe. But many times, and I've listed several examples up there, at the end of the letter, he would put something in his own handwriting. Uh, he, and here he writes, see uh, what I've written you with uh, these large letters. There's a great deal of debate over uh, was there, why were the letters large? Some talk about his, perhaps a weakness to his eyes. Others say perhaps he didn't, uh, didn't have a comfortableness in writing Greek letters uh, as the scribe would have. And others say he just did it so that they knew where Paul was writing. But whatever the case, the, the point was, I'm writing you this last section, it goes from verses 11 to 18, because I want you to know this, again, is really important to me. So in my own hand, I'm writing this, so you know this isn't just something that, that this scribe wrote, but this is something that's close to my heart, uh, that's important to me. And so he's going to make this final contrast between him and the Judaizers. Should the Galatians believe the Judaizers who are there, speaking to them, encouraging them to, to put their trust in the law for sanctification, to put their trust in, 
in circumcision to, as a bolster to, to gain spiritual ground? Or should they put their trust in Paul? And you often get a good understanding of a person by what they boast in. So look at the Judaizers. He says in verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so they will not be persecuted for the cross. He notes a few things about these people. First of all, they desire to make a good showing in the flesh. Paul had already contrasted himself in chapter 1, verse 10 with these people where he says, I'm not a men pleaser. These were people who wanted to put a good show. They wanted people to be impressed with them. But it was all outward. It was all uh, of, of the flesh, not the spirit. Secondly, they were afraid of persecution. The Judaizers were trying to compel the Gentile Galatians to be circumcised so they wouldn't be persecuted. They had actually accused Paul of that back in Galatians chapter 3, that that Paul was uh, afraid of being persecuted. And Paul says it's, it's saying that the gospel is enough, that faith in Christ is enough that brings persecution from the Jews. The people who are really afraid of being persecuted are these Judaizers, because they're, they're giving you the message that, that is very acceptable. And there's a lot of places you can go and hear an acceptable message. Be good, work hard, try to, try to be, uh, live by the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule. That doesn't raise any waves out there. But to say you're a sinner, bound for hell, and unable to do anything to save yourself, and you need a Savior, that causes waves and Paul says they don't want to be persecuted so they're not going to um, raise waves and then he says they're hypocrites look at verse 13 for those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh These guys are telling you, keep the law, and that'll make you right with God. But look at their lives. They don't keep the whole law. They're hypocrites in themselves. They're trying to foist on you a series, a a program that doesn't work. It doesn't work in their lives. You can see it in their lives. It does not work. And then he says, they wanted to boast in the number of their Uh, followers. Notice there at the end of verse 13, so that they may boast in your flesh. They can, if they convince you to be circumcised, they can point out all the ones who have been circumcised and they can say, look, they're followers of me. And it's all about the outward. It's all about having followers. It's all about avoiding persecution. And it doesn't work. And so Paul says, well, how am I different? Paul, both was in the cross of Christ. Verse 14, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Six times in Galatians, Paul's spoken about the cross or crucifixion. The cross of Christ had brought salvation to solve Tarsus and remove the curse that he had been under incurred by his failure to keep the law. The cross was a stumbling block, especially to the Jews, which brought persecution to those who preached it like Paul. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life on which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, in that crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I saw my death to the law so that I could live to God. And then later he talked about uh, the flesh and all of its passions and desire has been crucified. My old sin nature was given the death sentence because of the cross of Christ. And I now have new power, the resurrection life of Christ. And now he could say, listen, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There was a time when Paul was an up-and-comer. He worked harder than anybody else in Judaism. He was going to, if Paul had not been saved, we, all the Jews today probably in the Talmud would be talking about Rabbi Saul of Tarsus because he was an up-and-comer. And he said, I had to put all that away. In Philippians, he says, all, all that I was working for, all that I thought was valuable, all that this world offers that's so alluring, I counted as dung. It's garbage because the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so the world looks at the Apostle Paul now. <laughs> the Jewish nation looks at the Apostle Paul now. And, well, Paul, he's that weird guy that preaches righteousness from God by faith alone. Paul says, listen, the cross that's what I boast in. It changed my life. It gives me victory to live a new life. And it's changed my perspective from the temporal to the eternal. And my boast is in the cross of Christ. Not in this world. Not in the benefits His old life had been influenced and controlled by the world, and it was now gone. The cross and the benefits from Christ's death and resurrection was his boast. What's your boast? What do you glory in? What's the most important thing to you? Paul says, think about when I was there. What did I talk about? The cross. The second thing was, Paul says, my purpose is different. For Verse 15, for neither circumcision is anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul had said that back in chapter 5, verse 6, that in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. They're both earthly, and they're both focused in the here and now. What's the important thing? Being a changed person, a new creation. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed, new things have come. That was the purpose of Paul. That's what he wanted to see in Galatia. That's what the message of the Judaizers was 
stealing the power from. And Paul says, I want to see you living like the Lord Jesus. That's my purpose in life, not the number of heads I can count, the number of people who have, are followers of Paul. In verse 16, and those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God, or even upon the Israel of God. Paul's message was salvation and sanctification by grace through faith alone. And those that walk by that rule, according to the gospel, according to the message that salvation is, justification is in Christ alone, sanctification again is through uh, faith in the Lord Jesus, through the working of the Spirit in our lives, will have the blessing of God. And it doesn't matter if they're Gentile Christians or Jewish Believers, the believers didn't have a the Jewish believers didn't have a leg up on the Gentiles. No, this blessing and all of it was available to everyone who put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, "Notice the difference. These are not minor issues. Where are you going to spend eternity? Is it the cross of Christ or is it your works?" The life, the power for the life you're going to live. Is it from your flesh or is it from the power of the Spirit in your life? And then Paul gives a little proof in verse 17. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The word brand marks is the word stigmata. They were marks branded on slaves and cattle to show ownership. And Paul looks at the scars that are on his body. And, and they probably saw some of those because it was up in Galatia that Paul was stoned and left for dead. There were scars on his body. And he says, you know, these scars are brands of the fact that Jesus owns me. Why do I have these scars? Because Jesus owns me. Amy Carmichael, the great missionary to India, once wrote a poem called, uh, Have You Any Scars? And the last line of it says, <laughs> uh, something along the lines of, uh, can a person who uh, have can a person have walked long with Jesus and have no scars? Because you're living and the world's crucified to you and you to the world. You're living a different life. You're carrying the message of the gospel. And Paul says, listen, if you want to know who's my owner. It's Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of Christ and not like the Judaizers, a people pleaser. And then Paul ends with a benediction. Oop, I'll go back. 
verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. He begins this letter talking about the grace of God. And throughout this whole letter, the grace of God is permeating it. And now he ends expressing that the grace of God would be their abiding portion and with a reminder of his love for them by calling them brethren. And then he says, amen. Let it be so. Let it be so. Is your life different since we started the book of Galatians? Is your thinking different since we started the book of Galatians? I plan to to make this a little more concise because there is one final encouragement I want to take up. It, It was something that we didn't... Um, have as much time as I, I would have liked. Um, and that is this whole idea of, of walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5 and 6 reveal a quality of life that God wants for his people. It's his snapshot. This is what my children, these are my aspirations, my hope for my children. And, and it becomes very obvious it's not attainable um, by our own efforts. The fruit of the Spirit and living a life of service to others is why God sent us his Spirit. And walking with his Spirit, as we said when we looked at that passage, is this idea of being filled with the Spirit. The words for filling uh, in the New Testament have two ideas. One is something, uh, filling something or taking possession of something. And the other one has the idea of this filling occurring and it motivating uh, the course of life of the person that's filled. And so the the filling of the spirit um, means being uh, yielded to the spirit's control. William MacDonald points out, that the filling of the spirit is different from the other ministries of the spirit, like indwelling, baptism, sealing us, being in earnest, anointing us, those take place at the moment you're saved. They're automatic. They don't require any cooperation from you. You are sealed, guaranteed to go to heaven. You've been given this earnest that's God's uh, guarantee of that. Uh, He comes to indwell you. All of those things you're baptized into the body of Christ. All those things happen, and you, you didn't have any say in it you, other than receiving Christ. There's, but when it comes to filling, filling is, is very different. Um, filling is a command to be obeyed. Ephesians 5.8, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it, it's an ongoing process, not an attainment. It, it could be translated... Uh, be continually filled. Uh, Dwight uh, Pentecost, in his book, Designed uh, to Be Like Him, tells a story in the beginning of his chapter on the filling of the Spirit. He was taking a pastorate in northwest Pennsylvania. Uh, it was in sept- uh, February, a lot of snow on the ground. His brother came to visit. They got another 12 inches. He had to drive his brother uh, to another town where he could catch a train 
uh, to Philadelphia. And so they're driving carefully because of the heavy snow. But nonetheless, he slid off the road into the ditch. And he said, that wasn't a big deal because we carry shovels and we carry buckets of sand. So we're ready for it. And we're out there digging away. And a car comes by and says, do you need help? And I look up at him and said, now nah, we got it. And I turned and saw this look of complete amazement on my brother's face. But by the time I turned back, the guy had rolled up his window and was driving, and he was out of sound reach. And he says, God wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit. God wants us to have pleasing service to him. Knowing we're incapable of it, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell our lives. And like that man in the car who comes along and says, would you like some help? The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and says, hey, George, would you like some help? And the question is, how do I respond? How do I respond? And so we want to talk about this uh, filling of the Spirit. And I'm, I, um, Tozer says um, that, uh, this is not something that uh, you can get in a five-lesson uh, doctrinal statement. Um, and so what I've done is I've put a couple things to help. Bill McDonald, in his book, um, The Disciples' Manual, which is a really good book out of all of his writings on everything uh, for Christian maturity, going all the way from how to get saved to how I have assurance to baptism to filling of the Spirit to how I find my spiritual gift to uh, how to be in the Word to uh, just uh, how to share my faith. And in his section, he has a chapter called Be Filled with the Spirit. And I put, I've taken his four pages and put them on a single sheet of paper. And they're back on the desk outside um, the, the office there. The other thing I put out is 15 copies of A.W. Tozer's book, How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a series of five messages he gave on Sunday nights at his, at his church. Um, and you can go on uh, online if you're into e-books. Christian book distributors have his book for 97 cents if you're into e-books. I put 15 out there. If they're all gone and, and you didn't get one, you want one, come see me. We'll, we'll make sure you get a copy. Because this is something you're going to have to think about. This isn't something you just, oh, I'll be filled. And I like it because Tozer, in his book, um, asked some questions. He says, you know, Satan doesn't want Christians living a new creation. So Satan attacks in a lot of ways. Um, and so one of the things that people wonder about, is the spirit-filled life for you? He says, so you have to be sure that it is for you. You must be sure that it's God's will for you. That is part of the total plan that is included and embraced within the work of Christ in redemption. Being filled with the spirit isn't something just for super spiritual people. It's God's plan for every believer. That's why every believer is indwelt. But the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't take control. You have to yield control to him. 
So he goes on, can you believe this is part of God's plan? The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Can you believe this is scriptural? That in the blood of Jesus, when he died on the cross, there was included as a purchase price of that blood your right to a full Spirit-filled life. Then he says, he asks the question, do you want to be filled? Are you sure that you want to be possessed by a spirit other than your own? Even though that spirit be the pure spirit of God. A number of months ago, we gave out a couple hundred copies of My Christ, uh, or My Heart, Christ's Home. And that book basically has the same idea. A man imagines his life as a house, and the Lord Jesus comes and is invited to stay with him. But the Lord Jesus is uncomfortable in the living room, some of the things in the living room. And so there's got to be a decision. Do I want the Lord Jesus to be living with me and dwelling with me? Um, so he changes the living room. But then there's some things in the den. And he basically uses all the rooms of the house as different areas of your life where gradually the, the shining of the word of God, the conviction of the spirit begins to show that if you want to walk in the Spirit, some of these things have to change. And so the question is, do I want to be filled? Do you want him to be Lord of your life? Are you sure that you want your personality to be taken over by one who will expect obedience to the written and living word, who will not tolerate self-sins like self-righteousness, self-admiration, or self-pity? who stands in sharp contrast to the, this world's easy ways. You have to think it through. That, that's one of the reasons I like Tozer's book. These are things that you have to wrestle with. Are you sure you need him? Can't you get along the way you are? You've been doing fairly well. You pray, you read your Bible, you give to missions, you enjoy singing hymns. Are you sure you need more than that? Can't you get along like that? In William McDonald's article, he quotes James Stewart, who says, if it is a sin to be drunk with wine, it is a greater sin not to be filled with the Spirit. Are you content where you are? A lot of Christians are. That's why the church is in as bad a shape as it is, because the Holy Spirit is constantly saying, wouldn't you like my help with that? And the response of Christians is, I got this. And the other believers in Christ look at you like Dwight Pentecost's brother looked at him. And these are thoughts that you have to wrestle with. And that's why... Uh, A.W. Tozer, even though he gave five Sunday nights to this, said this isn't um, something that you can tend some messages. You're going to have to decide. So how do you receive the Spirit? We had Romans 12, 1 and 2 read. Present your body to him. Let him be Lord of your life. Give him the keys to your house. It's your reasonable service. Ask 
for the Spirit's filling. It's interesting in Luke 11, 9 to 13, the Lord compares, uh, he says, when, when your son asks for an egg, uh, you don't give him a snake. You know, curled up like a... You, you don't give him something evil when he asks for something. How much more your father will give you the Holy Spirit to those that ask him. The Holy Spirit is, in your life, is a demonstration of how much God loves you. Because he knows we all need the Spirit of God. And then obey the Spirit, Acts 5.32. We, we, Peter, in, in Acts 5, let me just read that verse to you. Um, Peter says uh, to the Sanhedrin, and we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. For the Spirit to be in your life and in control of your life, there needs to be obedience to the word of God. And then lastly, have faith. Galatians 3, 2, um, the Lord Jesus, or Paul says to um, the Galatians, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? If you ask God, listen, I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want you to take possession. Then trust God that he does what he says he'll do. William McDonald says, now go about your work believing the Spirit's in control. But walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is a continual process because Satan and the flesh are always, remember, the flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. So it's always trying to regain control. And so there are things. Uh, Tozer in his book says, can two walk together except they be in agreement? And so there are things, and Dwight Pentecost in his book talks about yielding with the Spirit. Um, there are things that are necessary to cultivate the Spirit's companionship. Tozer lists six of them. I'm giving you a lot of Tozer because there's just a few books out there. Remember, the Holy Spirit's a person. A person has come to live with you. A real person. This person can be grieved, we're told. This person can be quenched. And so we have to build a relationship with this person to confess and forsake sin because the Spirit comes to us and says, that's wrong. To submit to his control when the Spirit says, yes, this is what the Word of God says. This is how you need to live. Secondly, be engrossed with and honor the Lord Jesus. I love this quote by Tozer. The Spirit established a principle and he will never, never flood the life of any person except the person in whom Jesus is glorified. Bill McDonald says, be Christ-centered, not self-centered. The Spirit is about glorifying Christ, honoring Christ. And so you're going to have to be about honoring Christ and glorifying Christ, doing what pleases Christ. Lastly, or thirdly, walk in righteousness. Again, Tozer says, let us not make the mistake thinking we can be spiritual and not be good. 
thinking we can walk with the Spirit and go a wrong or dirty or unrighteous way. For how can two walk together except they be agreed? He is the Holy Spirit, and if I walk in an unholy way, how can I fellowship with him? And so there'll be those times where new areas of sin will suddenly become on our awareness horizon by the Spirit of God. Isn't God gracious? If God told us everything we were doing wrong, we would curl up in a ball and suck our thumbs. But God graciously says, well, you know, now let's work on this. Now let's work on this. But if you say no, then you're quenching the Spirit. And the Spirit cannot work in his fullness through him or through you. Make your thoughts a clean sanctuary. 2 Corinthians um, 10.5, Paul says that we take captive every thought um, in obedience to Christ. Tozer says this, our thoughts are decorations inside the sanctuary where we live. Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) What you think about and let your thoughts dwell on are like pictures hanging where nobody else can see them inside your mind, except the spirit has to live there. And so he goes on. If you would cultivate the spirit's acquaintance, you must hold, get a hold of your thoughts and not allow your mind to be a wilderness in which every kind of unclean beast roams and birds fly. Bill McDonald says, control your thought life. Proverbs 23, 7, Philippians 4, 8. Seek to know him in the word. It is in the word we find the Holy Spirit. And so, Tozer talks about learning to meditate on the word. William McDonald says, saturate yourself with the word of God. You cannot be filled with the spirit unless the word of God dwells in you richly. Ephesians 5, 18, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the spirit. You come over to Colossians 3, 16, it says, let the word of God dwell richly in you. And in the following verses, they create the same thing. So what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? It means to have the word of God dwelling comfortably in my life because I'm living a life of obedience to it. And I need the Spirit of God to do that. So you have to be a person of the Word. And then lastly, cultivate the art of recognizing the presence of the Spirit. A.W. Tozer says, remember, cultivating the Holy Spirit's acquaintance is a job. And he compares it um, to a man having a new baby. And, and so he talks to that baby and thinks when the baby coos back, it's talking to him. And he does things with that baby and thinks when the baby moves its arm, it's actually waving at him. But uh, he says he builds an acquaintance with this baby. And as you have a relationship with the Spirit of God, you need to build an acquaintance with the Holy Spirit. Bill McDonald says the most menial task 
can become a priestly ministration when the Holy Spirit takes takes one and Christ becomes your all in all. A lot of books written on this subject. Let me end with one last one. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a a monk. He had been a soldier, and he he got converted. His conversion experience is genuine, but it's a little odd. Um, but how do you? What do you do if you want to serve God? Well, you join a monastery. So he joined this monastery, and um, it was a monastery where they took a vow of silence, and they were studying and copying the scriptures, and they were writing spiritual books. But they needed someone to talk to the people who delivered food, to order food, to run the kitchen for them, and to do some of this stuff. So they cast lots, and Brother Lawrence got the lot. He didn't get to go. He went to the regular prayer times and that that they did as a group. But he didn't get to go be quiet and meditate and do all those things. He had to run the kitchen. He had to order the food. He had to everything, order everything else. And what he found out was you can wash the kitchen floor while worshiping Christ. You can order food for the monastery while enjoying companionship with the Lord Jesus. And so he wrote a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. Many of the same things that are in Tozer's book and and, in uh, Pentecost's book and in Bill McDonald's article are are found in here. It's a series of conversations and prayers. Um, 400 years have passed. Thousands of books were written in that monastery. The only major book that's known that ever came out of that monastery is this one. Written by not the man who who is meditating, not that that's wrong, or copying the scriptures, not that that's wrong, but who was doing ordinary tasks in the presence of God and maintaining the presence of God in his life. And so, don't think this walking in the Spirit, don't think this filling of the Spirit, oh, that's for the elders, that's for the deacons, that's for the guys who are on the platform, that's for missionaries. This is the gift of God for every one of us. I was going to show that video that we showed the second time of of where Jabe Nicholson took us through um, but since we're out of time, we won't, we won't do that. If you want to do that, you can go to Uplook Ministries on, on um, YouTube uh, or Jabe in five minutes. I just wanted to see if you had learned stuff that was, looked impressive when you first saw it and you were going, what? Um, it's been a good study. But it's not a valuable study unless something goes from the page of the word of God into your life. And the most important one, Paul would say, is you have to walk by the Spirit. You have to be filled with the Spirit. You have to be yielding to the Spirit's control. Uh, There's 200 and some 
copies of Bill McDonald's paper out there. There's 15 copies of Abe W. Poser's book. And again, uh, if you can get it online or come see me, we'll make sure anybody who wants one has an opportunity. Let's pray. Father, what a gracious, wonderful God you are. You gave us your son so that we would not have to spend a lost eternity, but we could be your sons and we could live with you for all eternity. And then you give us your spirit so that we can become like your son and we can uh, live lives of service, pleasing service to you. Lord, help us. Speak to our hearts. Show us our need of your spirit. Show us our need to walk with you moment by moment, day by day, because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.